My name is Leila Janti. And I'm Martin Rosati. And this is Passport Necessary, a podcast dedicated to growing up as a TCK and how it's affecting us now that we're adults. And today mm-hmm. we're going to get into, I think it's an interesting subject. Um, we're going to be discussing uh, city versus countryside and how that's yeah. viewed differently in different countries that we've lived in. Mm, yeah. I mean, it's, it's an interesting one, certainly because looking at Britain, the way that it's done is there's some interesting stuff that kind of feeds into the kind of cultural perceptions of what's what the countryside is and what it's like. I mean, the countryside is somewhere where a lot of people go on holiday mm-hmm. to get away from the big cities. Britain doesn't generally have very big cities. You've got London and Birmingham. Mm-hmm. And compared to Japan, they're not that... Well, I mean, London's very big, but Birmingham is not enormous mm-hmm. by comparison to Japanese cities. And all the other cities that are in Britain that are considered big, you kind of go, doesn't feel as big as a Japanese city. Yeah, no. Japanese cities small. N- no, no big city. I think for in general, no big city ever feels mm-hmm. as big as how big Japan is. J- Japanese cities can yeah. be because Japanese cities are huge. Yes. I was mostly just the geography of the place is, is just, it just, you have to, you have to live at the coast pretty much most of the time just mm. because it's so mountainous. So a lot of people would kind of like be hemmed in between the mountains and the coast. Apart, Kyoto's not on the coast, but it, it's in, it's in a valley mm-hmm. or, or, or sort of a plateau. And that sort of becomes a place where people can live because obviously like these mountains are not particularly geog- geologically particularly old. So they're very high. And they haven't been had a chance to be worn down yet. Whereas a place, you know, like somewhere like Britain and a lot of Western Europe is quite flat in a lot of places. So there is more living space. Yeah. And also just like in general, there's more like the climate and the environment makes it so that there's a lot more farming and there's a lot more like... Yes. rural areas and countryside and the idea Mm -hmm. of like the countryside is where farming takes place or where you would see pastures and animals. So I think there's, at least within the Western view, there's the idea of the countryside as being like farming, small town, Mm. very like blue collar work versus the city, which is seen as very high collar, sorry, white collar, um, very dense, highly populated. Sorry, I have a fire truck running in the background, living in the city. That's my life. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like very busy, things are constantly happening, whereas the countryside mm-hmm. is seen as a lot more slow. Yes, that's true. That's definitely true. It, it's it's a funny thing to with the countryside in Britain because there are lots of different things that go on with, with it. And the thing is, is that you do get the sense that it isn't also, it's not just sort of like farmers and stuff like that, but there's also a kind of an upper class sort of area of society that sort of uses the countryside for particular things, particularly like bird hunting is a common thing. So grouse, pheasants, those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. Um, So you have like a time of year when basically all over North Yorkshire, you can see a huge number of pheasants around. Mm-hmm. And that's partly because they're protected in order for the hunting season where people can go and shoot them. And so if you're driving through the countryside, it's quite possible that one day you will find that you are basically just driving behind a pheasant who doesn't have the sense to get off the road. 
they run in a sort of a zigzag line away from the car in front of it and they won't get out of the way they don't they don't understand that cars move on roads it's it's strange i've had that experience once or twice i've definitely had the experience of getting stuck behind cattle because they cross the road and you're like well yeah i guess we're not moving for a while yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's happened to me in the north of england that you sort of like have to worry about sheep as well that's one of the ones little sheepies i love sheep they're so cute <laughs> they, they can be a bit of a nuisance at times because they can just sort of like jump out in front of cars and get panicked and stuff so oh I, sure there's a, a there's a famous story in my family where we went to the french countryside during one summer and we rented this little like uh it was like a house, I think. It was literally in the mm-hmm. countryside. And I remember um, my mom did the washing. And then it was in so so in the country that everything had to be hung dry on lines outside. Yeah. Yeah. So my mom hung, drew, like put out of all of our laundry to dry in the air. And later she like came back and was so mad. It's like, mom, what happened? She was like, the freaking goat ate my dress. And she <laughs> And it was for real. The dress had gotten eaten by one of the goats that lived on the property. Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) That's one of the things you don't think about in a city, is it? It's like, well, we've got to be careful of the goats. What what, what goats? Because goats goats eat everything. Like pigs, they're omnivores. So they will eat anything that they can bite. They are going to eat it. Yeah, and... They're stroppy animals as well. You can't really scare them off that easily. It's no, like a sheep. they're so ballsy. It's like you're a goat. <laughs> I could beat you up, and they're like, no. They have like all the anger of a creature that's so much bigger than them. It's like God oh, looked yeah. at them and was like, "You're small. I'll make you furious." And it's like, why would you do that? <laughs> it's like uh, the, my dad told a story of like when he was walking in the countryside in Britain once, and there was this dog that was probably not used to being out in the country mm-hmm. and it was having a whale of a time chasing these sheep mm-hmm. and these sheep were running away from the dog and the dog was having a whale of a time chasing these sheep and all of a sudden the sheep went off in one direction and the dog was chasing them the thing that the dog didn't know was that there was a goat in the middle of all these sheep oh no and this goat turned around put its head down and just stood its ground and the no. dog didn't know what to do. No. The dog was just like, uh-oh, what do I do? It's gone too far this time. And it's, it's not quite a countryside story, but it's sort of like an area of, of in England which would be known as the countryside. Is that, uh, my mum was telling the story of like the dog that they had when they were children. He was, he was a black Labrador. You know, children sort of like into teenage years. And this dog was called Jimmy. Mm-hmm. And he, one of his favourite pastimes, because I live in this village called Stamford Bridge, which is about 14 miles from where I live in York. And the dog loved chasing the geese. Absolutely loved it. He would wind them up and wind them up and wind them up. And the thing is, geese are really stroppy animals when you get them too wound up. Mm-hmm. So what we do is we wind them up to the point where they would chase him. <laughs> and so there would be this... And My mother describes it as tuck the bottom in running, where the dog gets right hunkered down to the ground and just goes for it as fast as he can. And this dog would just like pelt away from these geese and these geese would be flapping after him, chasing him, trying to bite his bum and all that sort of stuff because they'd be so angry with him. He just loved it and he kept doing it, apparently. <laughs> wouldn't stop wouldn't stop tormenting these geese. Never learned. He just he just loved the game so much. And the geese obviously hated it. 
<laughs> Geese will fight you over nothing. So I can't even imagine. Oh, yeah. Like he barely, he probably barely had to do anything to antagonize these creatures. Oh yeah, I mean in York, the thing is they got the got the river ooze. It's called that runs through the center of the city. So it's kind of like where country meets city because York's a funny sort of mixture of the two because it's 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 two hundred thousand people and people call it a city because it's got a cathedral in it. That's the reason it's known as a city. And it's got a couple of universities and all that sort of stuff. So technically it counts under the way that it's worked out in Britain that they are, that it is a city. Um, but on the U's, you have a lot of geese and these are the grey lag geese. So they're kind of grey colour with sort of like a little bit yellow around the eyes and yellowish feet. And they're quite large. So they're about waist height on me. So they're probably, they're about a metre tall, probably something like that. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is that you sometimes see them walking across the road. They just stop traffic. Wow. See, like, families of geese walking across the road, and people won't run them over. So they just stand in the middle of the traffic, watching people beeping horns at them and all this sort of stuff, and they just sort of stand there. <laughs> and, like, they will they will come after your food and all sorts. They're, they're pretty aggressive. Wow. They're not, they're not frightened of people. No. They're, they have too much them. anger. <laughs> yeah. I had geese on my school property. I remember uh, very famously one of my friends went to try and take a photo of them and got bit. So they never tried that again. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, geese are evil. Um, oh yeah. But I think I think going back to what we were talking about, I think yeah. one of the major differences I think between at least specifically Japan, because I cannot speak on mm. other countries within East Asia, but I think in Jap- Japan specifically there is this almost idealization of the countryside and how like mm. very peaceful and quiet and it it's seen as this total escape from the city and i think yeah. that it's so it's seen as so important because there are so many major cities in japan yes i mean tokyo is the one that everyone thinks about but osaka's mm-hmm. big kyoto's big yeah. Even Yokohama, which is one of the first cities that I went to when I was in Japan, I lived there mm-hmm. for a year. That's a pretty big city. And it's yeah. only like, I think a half hour, 45 minutes from Tokyo. And there's yeah. not really all that much in terms of like countryside around that area. Like you mm-hmm. really have to drive for a while to be in the countryside. Um, yes. So I think there's this idealization of rural areas in Japan that I don't think Mm. you have as much in Europe. Well, definitely not in America. I think a lot of times in America, at least people who've lived in cities view cities as like, oh, this is fast paced. This is exciting. There's all these things going on versus like the countryside Mm -hmm. where it's slow, boring, not much to do. And I think that's something that's used a lot. Whereas people who've, when it's the opposite, people who lived within the more rural areas, they're like, oh, well, this is like the real America. This is where yeah. the hard work takes place. And all the right, people who yeah. live in the city are just like messing around big city folk. Like there's a lot of antagonism <laughs> between rural areas versus more like mm. city areas that I don't know if that's unique to the U.S., but it's something that is definitely prevalent here. Yeah, I think I think maybe the British attitude towards the countryside is probably closer to the Japanese attitude. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I suppose it's like looking at American film, you do kind of like see it as the idea of the countryside as being somewhere where 
it is slower paced and also like just like, there is real sort of like thing in a lot of american films like going into the country is a bad idea because all those people out there are hillbillies and they're dangerous certain areas that, of the states yeah that yeah, that stereotype does get projected a lot within yeah. certain areas so like definitely when you go within the mountain mountainous areas yeah um that's what that scene is is like the hillbilly mm-hmm. that's kind of that thing um it's that or you get the farmer stereotype where like you go into right, a small yeah. town and like for miles and miles all you'll see is like corn or wheat and that's basically mm-hmm. all that's there. And honestly, it's not that much of a stereotype because it is true if you drive <laughs> through Iowa or you drive through like other midwestern states, there are times where you will drive for over an hour and all you are seeing are cornfields. Right, yeah. And that's just the reality of what you're going to see. <laughs> like, it's just corn, as far as the eye can see. And you're like, well, this is an ending. There's just more corn. This just goes on forever. <laughs> it just never stops. <laughs> yeah, the like variety of, of planting different crops, we don't really do that in the States when it comes to major farming. No. <laughs> because you don't have to, I suppose. You can sort of do the intensive farming because you have the space. Whereas in Britain, I think the thing is, is that the countryside is seen sort of a place where you go to escape the city, kind of regenerate and do all that stuff. And a lot of people in Britain will kind of say, you know what, when I get older, you know, if I have enough money when I retire, I would like to live in the countryside. Be nice, you know. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, certainly middle class English people anyway, seem to be much more keen on the idea of living somewhere. It's more common for them want to, to want to move out of the big cities and move into sort of like a countryside setting because the countryside in Britain, most of the food in Britain is imported. Mm-hmm. So there isn't the intensive farming in the same way. There are a lot of, well, there were and hopefully will still be a lot of rules about protecting it so that you have hedgerows, you, you have to have a certain amount of space that's dedicated to the environment. So that means that you have small sets of woods copses so that animals can live there and all that sort of stuff there's those environmental protections so Mm -hmm. it actually looks it looks pleasant and there is that whole thing of you know like oh britain the green and pleasant land and all that sort of stuff and it's generally i mean basically people in britain have been farming since the stone age um so most of the countryside in britain is actually a kind of man-made thing Mm -hmm. um it's not natural whereas i think in a place like japan there is a lot of air there's a lot of land that cannot be developed because it's so mountainous yeah because of the geology Mm -hmm. and it's and i think also the thing is it being volcanic and stuff like that i've heard that the soil in japan is often very acidic so it makes it quite difficult to farm in a lot of areas and building on those areas is just a nightmare it takes you years to be able to actually get to the point if you were trying to like make stuff it would take so much effort Mm-hmm. So it's easier to build up. It's build. It's easier to. It's easier to find a low lying place and then build upwards rather than go up the mountain. Right. Yeah. No. I think that's. It's so interesting because in Japan, that idealism of the countryside is because it is so wild. Like so mm-hmm. much of Japanese countryside really is like that's the countryside. Like that probably was yeah. there hundreds and thousands of years ago because that's just mm. what the geology allows for whereas like you were saying in europe there's so much industry and there's so much agriculture that Mm -hmm. i don't know if there's there are places that probably have been untouched or very little touched Mm -hmm. um but i think that's a lot less than in japan yeah i mean 
maybe some areas of Scotland and Wales might be places that have been untouched to an extent. But even in... Because in, everybody loves talking about the North Yorkshire Moors. Um, mm-hmm. But that's man-made to an extent. Um, it's not... It's been interfered with so heavily by humans over the past, as far as I understand it, that because the idea that people think is that basically you could be a squirrel in the Stone Age. You could start off in Kent in the south of England and probably go all the way to Scotland without ever touching the ground. That's what they believe was there because the forest was so dense and it just covered the entire country pretty much the whole way. So you would be able to get up there if you were a squirrel just by following the trees. Wow. Whereas when humans arrived, they changed everything. So obviously you need to clear land for growing trees and all that sort of stuff. And there are lots of places in Britain that are very good for farming and all that sort of stuff. So every square mile that anybody could have found was developed. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think in places like Japan, you can't do it unless you've got modern technology. And even now, it's just probably just not worth it. Yeah, it's not worth it. And it it, it would be... I think there is this respect for nature as it is Mm. that exists in Japan. I mean, yes, there's a lot of development and there's a lot of urbanization that cannot be denied. I mean, look at Tokyo. It's insane. It's like (laughs) probably the one of the most modern cities in the world. And, but the thing that's so fascinating is that there is still such a huge respect for nature and leaving nature as, as it is and not messing with it and really Mm -hmm. trying to, give nature as much of a chance as possible of existing Mm -hmm. as it is without interfering with it and just allowing it to be itself and appreciating it for Mm. what it is. And actually a lot of Japanese art and like Mm. different forms of art are about looking at nature and trying to recreate natural things that exist within nature and make it yeah. man-made. Like Ikebana, is, uh, which is the floral mm. um, art form of creating like floral designs, a big part of it is looking at nature and trying to recreate that, like stylizing nature. And it's so interesting yeah. that there's such a an affinity and a appreciation of that. Whereas I, d- I don't think that really exists here in the States. I mean, we're such a young country but I also think a big part of it is like, what can we do to like improve, get better? Like, let's just keep going. Let's just keep modernizing and improving. And I think there's, there's very little awareness and respect for nature to be left alone. I mean, just look at the way um, state parks have been defunded or underfunded for so many years here in the States. And it's really disheartening to know that these places that are huge swaths of land that are for nature are basically being seen within our society as not really important and not worth preserving. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think to an extent it's kind of almost again, sort of a halfway house in Britain. I'm not so sure about, and in Europe, I suppose to an extent that you do have national parks, but I mean, the thing is, is I think, there might be some sort of strange thing because I'm thinking back to sort of like Renaissance paintings where you see images of nature and stuff. And obviously, in the Renaissance and the early modern period, that's when sort of Europeans were heading off to the States. And I think there might be a kind of idea of sort of like maybe slightly biblical of the idea of humanity sort of taking charge and altering nature and that being sort of a good thing. 
as mm-hmm. a sort of managing it in a way rather than living with it. And I think that I think it it's something that's probably true across maybe most of sort of the land between sort of I'm not maybe between the Middle East and Europe because those are the sort of like serious farming nations and there are a lot of areas there that need to be managed in a way. Mm-hmm. And if you look at sort of like, you know, the whole thing of like the Garden of Eden and all that sort of stuff, Adam and Eve are basically essentially put there just to manage it. Right. That's their job. And then they mess up by doing the thing that they weren't supposed to do, which is eating the tr- fruit of the tree of knowledge. But that they are in, in the Garden of Eden, they are seen as sort of they're, they're there to manage it. That's their job. And maybe there is a sort of thing somewhere deep down in sort of judeo-christian and islamic societies that somehow humanity's place is to sort of manage nature i don't think destroy is the wrong word but i mean like to manage it in a particular way to to make it fit a certain look or design or or fit what our needs are yeah to, to be involved with it in a different way to maybe some more animistic traditions and i don't i don't i don't know about hinduism so much but i think certainly think in buddhism there are some ideas of trying to work within nature mm-hmm. and i think certainly with um certainly shintoism is all about it's an animist religion yeah and so it's, it's, it's all to do a with huge like, part of it yeah. is you don't mess with nature you just let it be yes uh, or you have to be very careful mm-hmm. when you decide to mess with nature and, but i mean i think even older european societies have that idea um but maybe there's just something within I'll stick to Christian. There might be some things within Christian thinking that kind of give humanity the right to do certain things that wouldn't be considered the right thing to do in other con in other societies. So you have a right or a duty to sort of control your environment in a particular way. Mm-hmm. You, you have agency to do that, and you can do it because that's what we were put on earth here to do to an extent i'm not sure but i think there might be something in that if you certainly from looking at renaissance paintings there's a particular kind of idea of looking at humanity in nature Mm -hmm. it's all very staged yeah it it has a very specific like look and feel and Mm. it's very different than i think the way it's portrayed within like japanese art or it's talked about Mm. um and it's actually interesting because for me, like, I think my view of the city versus the country is kind of influenced by both my Western experience and also having grown up in Japan, where I mm. definitely, I prefer being in the city. I actually really, really do mm. enjoy being in the city. I like the fast pace. I like being able to do a lot of different things. Um there's the sense of like connectivity within cities that I really appreciate. Um, and then, but I still really do like being within nature. I really do like going into the countryside and having those opportunities of rest, as you put it, where that's very prevalent within Japanese culture and also in uh, the UK. And actually that's something that I remember I didn't get to do it, but my dad and my brother, during my graduate, like I was graduating high school and I was getting ready for college. My brother and my dad went on a trip and they went through the UK all the way up into Ireland or Scotland. 
I think they went up to Scotland actually. And like during the course of their trip, they like stopped in different places and they kept talking about the whole time. They're like, everything was so green and so beautiful. And like, there was constantly Mm. just like this feeling of nature was everywhere. And I remember thinking that was like, that sounds so nice. I wish I had gone on that trip with you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the nice thing is certainly, certainly uh, once you get out of the big cities, everything is green in Britain and, there are not a lot of forests and heavily wooded areas anymore. There are a few areas that are a bit more wooded. But I mean, certainly from York, because I sometimes have to travel for my job. So the places that I normally end up traveling to is, is a town called Harrogate, which is 15, 20 miles away. And then there's a bigger city called Leeds, which is roughly about the same distance. And the thing is, is that from York to Leeds is actually a relatively nice sort of... Um, journey because you do get to see quite a bit of stuff i mean you do see some industry and things like that but the thing is that there's this area around york which is called the vale of york which is very flat and it's also very good for farming which is probably why the vikings liked it um and decided to invade on multiple occasions but you do see this thing of like being able when you're going out from from york to leeds basically you do see the land starts to rise up and you see how flat it is around york and it is green and you do see things like you you could be sitting at the train, you know, you'd be looking up, you'd be on the train at 10 o'clock in the morning, you can look out the window and see deer. There's mm-hmm. just deer wandering around in the fields. Um, you do have the other thing, it's interesting because it's like in Britain recently there's been a lot of discussion about um, animals sort of that we would normally associate with being outside of cities like countryside creatures coming into cities. And so there was, maybe it was... I can't remember, was it Tuesday or was it Wednesday? I can't remember. I was walking home uh, a few days ago and basically there was just a fox sitting on, uh, walking along the pavement on the opposite side or walking on the pavement on the side that I was on. So I decided what I'd do is I cross the road and see whether that was the closest I could get to it. And it just kind of sat down and watched me for a bit. And then, you know, we're probably at most 10 metres apart. And then I decided, to, you know... The fox was obviously agitated and decided to walk off a little bit. So I decided to walk off because we had, it was heading in the same direction I was and it just looked at me. And I've never seen a fox do this because you just kind of think like foxes are like dogs, you know, they're not, they're not going to do a lot of jumping over walls and stuff. But this fox, this wall was maybe a metre and a half high. This fox just jumped onto it and jumped over the other side. Never seen one do that before, but you see that kind of thing. And oh, wow. with the pandemic and stuff, there were deer in the city. Like there's a police station about mile or so away from where i live and there was just a deer in the car park one night walking <laughs> around like because because people weren't around so that the animals came in yeah um, so it's interesting that with the pandemic you see the countryside moving into the cities when people disappear these animals appear and there are some other strange things there's not there's, there's a kind of um corvid is the technical name of the families it's a, it's a crow it's a kind of a it's related to crows they call them rooks in britain i don't know how what name they would have in other countries but they're crows and they tend to stand a bit more upright and walk rather than hop and they've got white cheeks because they've got bald cheeks they don't have feathers on their cheeks and i've noticed that some of those have been moving into cities recently and 10 years ago you wouldn't have seen one interesting you see them now and again now they've learned because they're associated with the countryside very much they live in what are called rookeries so you tend to see like hundreds and hundreds of them in the trees because they all tend to nest together so you have wow. pairs that will nest in particular trees and you just have find them in a in a you know, in a small area of woodland and they tend to like to live in the fields and like pick up the corn and all that sort of stuff. 
but some of them seem to be wanted to move into the cities, hmm. which is interesting. That is really interesting. I I think it's just so fascinating to, while COVID was happening and seeing some of these animals come back in, it's funny because hmm. living in Buffalo, we actually do see deer quite often in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, just because we have a fairly large cemetery that's kind of only like, a couple blocks, maybe like five minute drive away from where I live. And mm-hmm. the cemetery also connects to a park. And so sometimes you right. would see like a herd of deer just like chilling in the cemetery <laughs> or they would go to the park. And it's just so funny that Buffalo is the second biggest city in the state of New York, but it's mm-hmm. also really not all that big. And it's still pretty close to what would be considered the countryside. So animals that would be considered right. to be not city animals, but more like outskirts or countryside animals, we have seen mm-hmm. them. Um, I I haven't seen a fox. I really want to see a fox. I, I did see a fox actually once when I was driving mm-hmm. to work um, – some event I can't remember but it was early morning and I remember driving and I saw a little orange streak and I slowed down I was like Uh what was that and then I saw his little head pop up above the grass and I was like (laughs) that's a fox it was so cute oh my gosh I couldn't stop and I was like I I couldn't stop and I wanted to take a picture I wanted to get closer to it I was like I'm in a car I need to drive (laughs) yeah um that's the thing as I it's I've only ever seen a fox in Japan once and I was very lucky and it was out in broad daylight. It was very strange, but it was there. The other thing I've seen in Japan sort of living in more built up areas is weasels. Oh. It's a very strange experience sort of like coming across a weasel in broad daylight because it was just, it was at the back door of some sort of university campus building and it was just there. We were walking past and it was just looking at us and it was, <laughs> it wasn't very far away and it was just like, it didn't look particularly, it looked a bit startled. Uh-huh. So as soon as we kind of like noticed it was there, it was definitely a weasel, but it just decided to disappear. <laughs> but it, it's funny when you see those sorts of creatures in sort of like urban settings because you kind of, you don't, I think maybe in Britain particularly, there are animals that are associated with the countryside, mm-hmm. but they do appear. It's like, also like in Japan, you would see wild boar coming down into the cities if they were close enough to the mountains. Oh my gosh. Boar, boar is something where I don't mess with that because I do remember being very young and my dad was driving us through the French countryside and it was Mm -hmm. pitch black and he was telling us about when we were like he was telling us a story about when he was younger and he remembered his mom uh, got into a car accident and we, we were like oh my gosh was she okay and he was like yeah she got hit by a boar. Ooh. I was like, what? She was like, yeah, the boar was fine. The car was destroyed. I'm like, okay then. <laughs> he was like, yeah, they're very yeah. dense animals. And yeah. they will, f- like, if they think they're in danger or they think their child is in danger, they will destroy yeah. whatever car you're in. And I was just like, okay. <laughs> and I have yeah. a child. I'm like in the pitch darkness. So the entire rest of the drive, I was like looking out for boar. I was like, are we going to get hit by a boar? <laughs> My dad was like, it, we're not, we're fine. And I was still like yeah. looking out the window, Uh-oh. terrified, like we're going to get hit by a boar. <laughs> it's because my dad knows a family in France as well. This is another French story about a boar, but they, they, they sometimes would go boar hunting. Mm-hmm. So one of them, he'd, he'd, he'd shot a boar. And they were kind of going, is it, do we think it was on the ground? And they were kind of going, 
do we think it's a good idea to go towards it? And some of them become umming and ahhing about it. So one of them decided to walk forward towards the boar. It got up and gored him in the leg. Because <gasps> it was still alive and they're still dangerous. And like apparently his leg didn't heal for a year or two because it's the damage it had done was so severe. Oh my they're, gosh. They're, they're powerful animals. Uh, but when you see them, you just kind of go, that's it's a really sort of exciting experience to see one because it's just they're pretty impressive animals. They're sturdy. They're they look like the yeah. animal form of a tank. <laughs> yes, they do. They do. And it's nice. <laughs> they do. There's no other way to describe them. They yeah. look like a miniature tank. Yeah, that is actually a really good description. <laughs> and like, <laughs> it's just the thing is, is that it, it, you wouldn't see something like that in Britain. And that's the thing is that Japan has some very unusual animals mm-hmm. and you can see them. And it is quite special to see them on occasion, especially like, you know, especially if they're coming into the city. Yeah. And you do see a lot of animals being revered in Japan and that kind of thing, and people are aware of them. Whereas I don't, I don't think there is that much of it in Britain. I think people are aware of foxes. They're aware of deer. But I don't think people are kind of that interested in the animals they're seeing. There's not an awe factor that you have. Yeah, yeah. I, that I think exists in Japan. No, that's true. Yeah. So that was kind of our little discussion about city yeah. versus country and how like it's viewed differently from the different countries that we mm. lived in. Um, so thank you as always for joining us. I've had a pleasant time and I hope you have oh, yeah, as well. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll oh, see you good. next time. Right. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, if you want to find us, we are on Twitter at Passport N-E-C-E-S-S-1. We are also on YouTube and you can find us anywhere where fine podcasts can be found um, through Anchor. That is our main platform, but you can also find us through Spotify, Apple Music, etc. Um, please feel free to leave us a comment, a review. We definitely appreciate those. They make us really happy uh, to see them. And feel free to um, send us questions via Twitter or any of the uh, formats that we're on. We have some really exciting episodes lined up in the future. Um, and hopefully we will have a Facebook group that will be up and running soon uh, where you can absolutely chat with other people who listen to the podcast or even ask us questions. Uh, So thank you so much again for listening and we can't wait to see you next time. Bye.